What's up, guys? Welcome back to X-Play. I'm your host, Neil Patrick Harris II. Uh, nah, swipe all that. That's fan fiction. <laughs> um, but for real, welcome back. Um, this is Jai, a.k.a. The Doof, a.k.a. your auntie's boyfriend. I do apologize for our absence. We've been both, both very, very busy. Eagle-eared listeners will notice that I'm the only one here. Yeah solo cast for today um no no beef nothing bad has happened jp and i have just both been extremely occupied you know working on you know short-term to medium-term projects and even some long-term stuff as well everything's kind of still under wraps so yeah uh so this is what we're doing today so uh, i've come to you i've come to you bringing gifts i'm a very very uh comic book heavy person, I suppose. <laughs> um, that's kind of one of my, my main things. That's what I tend to talk about the most. That's just what I'm into. And today we're going to talk about comic book video games. I like those shits. So that's what we're doing. I do apologize for sounding like a broken record. That's just how I speak. I stutter. I stumble. Oh, there's a banana? I'm gonna slip on it. That's just how I do it. Uh, I'm going to try and, you know, fudge with my voice a little bit so you have a smoother listening experience but uh yeah that's how we're doing it today but before we get into the history of comic book games some of my favorites some pitches and what i hope to see from the future uh let's let's talk about what i've been reading and watching uh, it's been a minute since i've been able to update and you know give reports on my findings so uh first up i've got two comics and two Let's, let's do three movies that I want to talk about. Uh, first up, comic book-wise, Joker Killer Smile by Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino, and Jordi Belair. I've read something of Jeff Lemire's before, uh, a Moon Knight run that came out a few years ago, and I was like, yo, he did Moon Knight pretty well. So I'm going to just follow this dude and see what he's got uh, to say about Joker. This came out this year. It's just like three issues long. So it's short and sweet. It is a psychological horror about a, a doctor who goes in to try and fix Joker. He's like, nah, I can do it, though. Can't be Goku. I can do it, though. Um, and everyone in Argument Asylum is like, no, nah, that's not how this works. If we could just fix him, we would have done it already. But Dr. Benjamin Arnell was his name. He's like, yo, I can fix him, though. I can fix him. So you can imagine what, what happens over the course of this, this story. That does not happen. Or maybe it does. I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> uh, I do suggest you checking it out. Um, I have the hardcover. It's really, really nice. I got it probably what, like four or five days ago. It's great. You see Batman in it for like six panels, which is something that I appreciate. You know, get, get that guy out of here. <laughs> Show me the Joker. And it's weird because Joker isn't really the main character of this. It's primarily focused on Ben Arnell and, you know, how the Joker has cracked him. Like, you you get two or three pages into this book and it's over. You know it's going to happen. Not, you know it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen, but, like, he's in there. Broski's got no chance. Um, but it's really, really entertaining. Very, very mature as well. Um, if, you can't, if you can't do psychological horror, and I mean horror, uh, not a thriller, because there's a, a couple of pages in here where I, I flipped it and I was like, oh, sheesh, that's what we're doing today. Christ. It's a little bit of gore. You know, not too, too much violence, but like it's the Joker, so there's implied violence. But yeah, a Joker killer smile. Very, very good. Three issues, short and sweet. You get in, get out. You get your horror. You go, woo, and then uh, you're good to go. Uh, next up, I want to talk about Infamous Iron Man. The volume one, which is like the first four issues of the run. That's not about Iron Man. It's about Doctor Doom, which I thought was really, really funny. Uh, Doctor Doom's like, yo, I've been a bad dude. I've been a bad boy. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to just steal an Iron Man suit, right? And I'm going to just be a good guy. Um, I think at this point in Marvel's canon, Tony Stark has passed away. Um, it's extremely hard to follow everything. Who's dead? Who's alive? Which Captain America is this? Who's that in the Spider-Man costume? What? Dr. Og? Are you crazy? Anyways, infamous Iron Man is uh, Dr. Doom saying, yo, I'm trying to right my wrongs for 
I want to atone for my sins. And the thing is following him, the thing of the Fantastic Four. And he's like, yo, you can't just like switch up teams like that, dog. That's not how we do this. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to just be good and we're all going to fly with that. Bro, didn't you? You suplex Galactus. I saw it. You shot God. I was there. It was sick, but I was there. And you can't just switch up. Um, so that's that's what that's about so far. I'm still reading it. I'm still in the process of working my way through the story. So uh, I'll, I'll update when I can. Um, speaking of updates, I realized I blue-balled you guys with uh, All-Star Superman uh, not too long ago. Or a decent length of time ago. That book is good. I'm not going to say much more. Uh, Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman is good. They did good work just making that. It's really old. It's from like 2011, which isn't really old, but like it's not a new thing. I don't want to spoil it, but man, shit's good. I watched some movies. I watched The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. That shit was pretty good. Like this is we're 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 coming out of spooky season, um, and I wanted to have that for our spooky episode, which got Okiyasu the handed away. Um, we swiped that shit out of existence. But the lighthouse was really really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Some folks close to me were like, ah. Uh, that wasn't for me. I don't know. Shit was kind of weird, dog. And I'm like, nah, let me get in there. That black and white, that, I want to say 35 millimeter, I'm in there. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Because I just wanted to see Robert Pattinson on my screen. Because I'm like, I'm super excited for the Batman, which I'm pretty sure has been delayed to 2022. I was like, how do I get man on screen? I want to look. I got to see. So yeah, that's also a psychological thriller? Thriller horror. I got really, really similar vibes between that and Joker Killer Smile. A lot of gaslighting from the 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 work of fiction. They're like, oh, this is actually what's true. Oh, maybe this is what's true. Hey, oh, wow, I'm an unreliable narrator. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but I enjoyed uh, The Lighthouse. Next up, Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I watched it again. Everyone knows that's good, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. I want to talk about one specific thing, honestly. Uh, there's a bit near the end where Kingpin is in the train finding Miles, and uh, there's, like, flashes of different versions of his family that are around. And he's like, yo, what? I, I, want, I want my family back. But one of the versions of his family was black, and I was like, what's that all about? And I realized that that was a reference to the Daredevil movie. Michael Clark Duncan's Kingpin. That's all that I can extrapolate from that. But even still, it's like, yo, someone here is paying attention a lot more than they have to. And piggybacking alongside that, there's a version of his family where Daredevil is his son. I forget what universe that's in, but that is a reference to a comic where Matt Murdock is uh, Kingpin's son. I was like, whoa, how did, how did y'all get that in there for like two to three frames? Spider-Verse is incredible for what it does, for getting all these references in there for one quarter of a second. It's insane. I just wanted to, I don't know, I just wanted to bring that to light. Um, finally, I saw Beetlejuice for the first time. Yeah, like Michael Keaton's Beetlejuice. I, I don't really have much to say. I saw it. <laughs> Uh, it was really weird. Like, there's a lot of movies, a lot of spooky movies that I, I couldn't watch growing up because I'm a Christian good boy. No shoot 'em up, no bang 'em ups, no Hellboys, no Daredevils in my house. Um, so I'm pretty sure that was something I couldn't watch when I was little. Seeing it as an adult, it's like, whoa, that's crazy. It was good, though. I like seeing Michael Keaton on my screen. Very vultury, very bird manny. But, anyways, that's enough of my week, my month, honestly. Let's get into the topic of the day. Comic book video games. I figured today, of all days, would be a great time to talk about comic book games and how far they've come from their humble beginnings nearly 40 years ago to the PlayStation 5 and Miles Morales at 60 frames per second. So I, I feel like today is like a celebration of those, a celebration of comic book games and their ups and downs. I've got a pretty extensive list here of, of games I want to hit. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, and some of them I just feel are really, really important to the genre. First up, there's Spider-Man. <laughs> the end. Whole episode. Good talk, everyone. It's been a play. No. Uh, Spider-Man of 1982. This was the first home console superhero video game. 
It was on the Atari. It consisted of you, the player, as Spider-Man, all 14 pixels of him, climbing a building so you could punch the Green Goblin in his nutsack. <laughs> it's revolutionary, honestly. Like, there, there's not much to say about it gameplay-wise. Um, I can't say that I've touched it. But that was it. That's how we started. It's incredible how, you know, today specifically, it's Spider-Man. I don't know. I, I thought that was worth, worth putting in and worth noting. But from 1982, we're going to skip like 11 years to Capcom's Punisher Beat-Em-Up. I wasn't going to put this on the list initially because I was like, why, why would I do this? But I was looking through my Street Fighter art book the other day. Um, it's a very thick-ass art book. Just kind of flipping through, looking, looking at art. It's like, ooh-ah, Luke Johns. And the Punisher game is in there. I'm like, yo, how? Why? Huh? So I did a little bit of research on the Punisher, and it's it's just a classic uh, beat 'em up. It was in arcades, and then it got a home console release in 1993. Um, it's just the Punisher going through New York, popping hella Marvel baddies. Uh, if you play with a friend, the second player gets to play as Nick Fury, which I, I thought was pretty cool. But since this was 1993, before like the Ultimate Universe of comics came out, it's not. Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury. It's David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, which I feel like a lot of people have forgotten that that was the original model behind Nick Fury. Or, you know, not, not the original model, but like the common model, especially in the late 90s and early 2000s before the popularity of the Ultimate line and then the MCU. So that, that's important, I suppose. And we're going to go to 1995. Then there was X-Men, Children of the Atom. All right, okay. It wasn't a game changer, it was a game shaker. Now we've got popular X-Men characters, comic book characters, fighting against each other. This is kind of the origin of the hyper fighter, I would say. Some pretty decent beam supers. Kind of the beginning of an era, if I may say so myself. This was also Capcom, and I, I believe this was in the art book as well. So the two kind of go hand in hand, the Punisher and X-Men Children of the Atom. But then the next year, we have X-Men versus Street Fighter. <sighs> All right, so this is starting to look kind of familiar. X-Men, hmm, Marvel. Street Fighter, hmm, Capcom. So two years later, 1998, we have Marvel versus Capcom. All right, this is it. This is the crossover of a generation, everybody. Marvel versus Capcom. All your favorite superheroes against all your favorite video game characters. What are you, crazy? Huh? In this economy? Get out of here. So... Marvel vs. Capcom shows up, and it's like, yo, hyper-fighting. It's in your hands. It's in your home. Do it now. So far, I've only really mentioned Marvel games. That's because all of the DC games up through here were cheeks. That doesn't stop in 1999. <laughs> if anyone knows anything about games and gaming history, you can probably guess what boo-boo-ass DC game showed up in 1999. And yeah, I'm talking about Superman 64. And those god-forsaken rings. You know the rings. You gotta fly through the ring, Superman. You're limited, Superman. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like Superman 64 was probably one of the first times... Maybe not the first time. But it was a testament to, like, how not every superhero or superhero character can just be in a game. Superman is too powerful, too strong to be in a video game and there actually be a game in there be conflict i feel like the late 90s early 2000s publishers are starting to realize yo we can't you can't just have goddamn god as the guy you can't just play god what you, what's the game what's the conflict and i feel like that's the reason there aren't any like flash games there aren't any good modern iron man games or anything because these characters are a little bit a little bit too powerful for all that Notable about Superman, that was in 3D. 3D flight. That's kind of revolutionary. It sucked. Booty cheeks. Like, it, it was dog shit. But, like, we're, we're trying. We're trying to get in there. Which is most definitely noteworthy. So then, the turn of the millennia. Alright? 2000. Marvel versus Capcom 2. I want to take you for a ride, says that video game. Boom. Hyper fighting. It's in there. You got two original characters. Got the little cactus bitch and that, uh, the pirate lady. Ruby Rose? Nah, that's the actress. But boom. It's in there. Hyper fighting. In your veins. Go, go, go. 
I need it. <laughs> Marvel versus Capcom 2 is on the scene. And it's it's selling units. It's making money moves, bro. Y'all don't know nothing about Marvel, bro. With Marvel versus Capcom and I want to say Street Fighter 3, which was around at the same time, you get kind of a competitive fighting game scene. It's not going to show up for, I want to say maybe two or three years. But like Marvel versus Capcom 2 was one of the OGs at Evolution or Evo, the international fighting game tournament. So now you've got Marvel characters on what is essentially the world stage of fighting games and one of the early world stages of video games as well. So it's like, ah, what's your meta? Oh, my meta is Iron Man and Venom. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Could you imagine in 1985, yo, who who you competing with in this fighting game? Oh, yeah, you know, Spider-Man and Ryu. Like, wait, what? Pause. What's up? <laughs> that was 2000. Up through here, we're going to switch up generations. We're going to go from Nintendo 64 or PlayStation 1 or non-existent Xbox thing. We're going to hit 2004. Then X-Men Legends comes out. Been a sec since we mentioned the X-Men by name. But like in the early 2000s, X-Men were popping off. There were like 17,000 X-Men movies. Wolverine was wearing black leather, which was really uggo. X-Men 2 was really good. Uh, there's the dam, which is half the movie. But you know what? You know what? Forget that. X-Men Legends comes onto the scene, and that gives you couch co-op as superheroes running around smacking bitches up. It's great. This is the blueprint for something I'm going to talk about that comes out uh, two years after X-Men Legends, but hold on to it. Keep it in your brain. X-Men Legends. Their costumes are kind of reminiscent of the movies as well, which I'm not a fan of. I think those costumes are boo-boo. They do get the X on them sometimes, and I think in X2, Wolverine has, like, the little tiger stripes on his shoulders. But, man, I wish that those were just the OG costumes the whole time. At the turn of the millennium as well, a lot of superhero movies are starting to come out. Um, you get Blade, which isn't, it's kind of weird. I mean, there's, like, three of them, I guess. I don't know. You get the X-Men movies, like I said, and then Spider-Man busts onto the scene. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. So that came out in, like... 2002, I believe. Uh, I probably should have fact-checked that. Toby is on the scene. I'm like, oh, all of a sudden, video games are being made from the movies of the comic book characters. Now, the first Spider-Man movie game, it wasn't that great. You couldn't land on the ground because there was, like, kryptonite fog due to the processing limitations of those those consoles like they couldn't render the ground and they didn't want players going down there because it was mad ago but later 2004 spider-man 2 shows up and it's like yo let's switch this shit up real quick because in the original spider-man game <laughs> the web swinging was spider-man tethering himself to whatever god platforms were above him but in Spider-Man 2, the webs actually landed on the buildings around you. And it's like, whoa, I actually need to care about what's around me if I want to swing around. I can't just be the Chrysler building's height in the sky if I'm swinging around Hell's Kitchen. There's no buildings that tall. And the legend says that the web swinging was originally going to be like the boo-boo version of the previous game. But the guy, the singular man that develops the Spider-Man 2 web swinging, he was told, yo, you can't put that shit in. And then, like, the week before the game was meant to ship, before it went gold, he goes into the office and he switches the code around so that his web swinging is in it. And then he just doesn't tell anybody. And then once it gets released, all the reviews come out and say, yo, this web swinging is sick as shit. And his boss is like, yo, you shouldn't have done that, but good work, bro. And he's like, oh, okay. Do I get a raise? The boss is like, nah, dog. So that's the, the legend of Spider-Man 2's web swinging. The next year, we get Hulk Ultimate Destruction, which I believe was the origin of the make you feel like XYZ superhero meme. Because Hulk Ultimate Destruction, it wasn't based on anything or maybe some loose adaptations of some older, fairly generic comics, but that changed something. That changed open worlds and video games for the better. Hulk Ultimate Destruction, it gave you plenty of story, plenty of side quests, and, and plenty of powers that the Hulk, you don't really, you don't really think of him as having. Some of my favorite things that you could do were like, 
grabbing cars, ripping them in half, and jamming your hands into either half of the car as boxing gloves. You could turn buses into skateboards and or use poles as like bats to swing at human-sized enemies. Hulk Ultimate Destruction was crazy. We had loads of different alternate costumes. I'm pretty sure the buildings were destructible as well, which was like mind-blowing for my seven-year-old brains. Like, what? I can change the world? Are you crazy in this economy? So that's, that's crazy. It was unheard of. So, like I said before, I feel like that was the origin of the meme that would later come of. It makes you feel like Batman. But anyways, um, another game that came out in 2005, which I wasn't really fond of, but I appreciate what it was doing, and I also want you to take note of this as well, was Marvel Nemesis Rise of the Imperfects. This was a 3D brawling game, kind of like Power Stone, of different low-key kind of marvel knights-esque characters i mean i'm pretty sure cap iron man and like the thing were in there but it was a really weird game it had like some original characters as well such as johnny ohm hazmat uh like nickel von rickle or something i really don't know but it 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 it, it tried i guess it was a 3D brawler, uh, like Power Stone. It wasn't very good, but it was very clear that Marvel was trying to branch out in what kind of games it can make. It was an experiment. And like I said, I want you to take note of that. So that was 2005. 2006, okay? Marvel's Ultimate Alliance. You remember X-Men Legends? All right. Marvel Legends, okay? Let's get everybody in there. Let's give everybody four costumes as well, so some of them can be different characters. Ultimate Alliance was a game changer. It allowed you and a group of three other people. You could have four people play that game. It was essentially just Diablo, but with a Marvel skin. But bro, the memories. It wasn't about the gameplay. It was about your boys. It was about, yo, Wolverine, throw me that enemy so I can punch him in the face as Colossus. And then I will alley-oop that dude to Daredevil. And then I'm going to throw that guy into Spider-Woman. Like, what? That's crazy. That Who does that, bro? Who does that? Now with like in 2020 with all these licenses and legal things and who owns what and Sony owning Spider guy and Venom being Vagabond or whatever, you, we don't have that anymore. I miss that. I miss when the Marvel Universe was a universe and not a, what's like a triverse, a multiverse? I don't know. That was 2006 Marvel's Ultimate Alliance. Game changer. Incredible. So we kind of chill for a few years. I'm skipping around because there are some games I don't really want to mention. I don't really have much to say. But in 2008, we're going back to Spider-Guy. We have Spider-Man Web of Shadows. Something about this game I thought was really, really interesting. I think I brought it up on the show before, but with Web of Shadows, Spidey has the symbiote on him. The symbiote allows him to switch between two different movesets as well. So like when in combat, you can switch up from kind of web-based amazing Spider-Man moves into like, well, not web-based, actually, scratch all that, from punching in like physical combat-based amazing Spider-Man moves. And then the symbiote moves were like lashing symbiote whips and stuff and like crowd control and a much more aggressive and much more dangerous to like the world. That game also had a morality meter as well. It, it gave you multiple choices along the course of the story that were kind of light side and dark side. Uh, one that I've mentioned before was uh, the parlay between two different rival New York gangs that Luke Cage is setting up. And if you choose the light side, the gangs parlay, they make amends, and then they're gone. If you choose the dark side, which is, you know, the symbiote. You go in and just kill every single gang member. And it's crazy. And Luke Cage is like, bro, why, what, why'd you do that? And he's like, oh, you gotta do what you gotta do. Because, like, the symbiote's talking. But I thought that was really, really fun. In the PlayStation 3 and Xbox versions of that game, you could actually call in assists of different characters that you met over the course of the story. So I'm pretty sure for the heroes, it was Luke Cage, Moon Knight and Wolverine. There might be another in there. Um, I can't quite remember. But for the villains, it was like Electro, Black Cat, Rhino, and Vulture. Which was kind of strange that they stacked it with more villains than heroes. But, you know, don't tell nobody. <laughs> it wasn't like the best Spider-Man game of all time. But it was most definitely noteworthy. Um, it was kind of the last time that Marvel games, like, felt like they were all in one universe because there were so many crossover characters. That was my first instance of 
seeing Moon Knight as well. And I was like, who is this Ku Klux Klan member? But he, he turned out to be pretty cool. He's also voiced by Robin Atkin Downs, who is Kaz and like Metal Gear and Travis Touchdown, which I didn't know until today. But, you know, the more you know, I guess. So that was uh, Spider-Man Web of Shadows. And on the DC side of things, Lego Batman shows up in 2008. You play Lego Batman? Play Lego Batman. It's great. All of the Lego games are great. Um, I'm actually writing something, uh, a detailed analysis of the Lego games. It probably won't be a podcast. It might be uh, some other form of media. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Lego Batman came out. I'm pretty sure it had a character creator as well, which is really, really cool. I'm running around with your own little guy amongst all these Lego characters that you know and love. And it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty powerful. I gotta say, gotta say that. <laughs> Also 2008, 2008 was kind of stacked. Tatsunoko versus Capcom came out. So for this list, I tried to stay away from like manga and like Japanese superheroes, but like I did want to put Tatsunoko versus Capcom like fighting all-stars on here because it's really important in the hyper fighting, or I guess Capcom's hyper fighting series. It's in there with Marvel versus Capcom, or I, I consider it in there with Marvel versus Capcom. Um, it was like the next permutation between MVC2 and MVC3. It was like the, the transition period. It was Wii exclusive, which kind of unfortunate, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> got to get developed and published somehow. And also in 2008, another crossover was Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. This game sucks. It sucked ass, dog. Like it was really bad. <laughs> it's, it's probably not that bad. I'm probably just being mean just for the sake of being mean. But it was interesting to finally see DC characters in a fighting game. Like, I'm pretty sure we didn't really have that on such a grand scale, as grand as Mortal Kombat, you know? Not before that. This is also a canon Mortal Kombat game as well. So if anyone asks you what Mortal Kombat 8 is, be like, yo, you mean Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, the next year, Ultimate Alliance 2 comes out in 2009. Not a game changer, but shit was powerful. It had three, three acts. And one thing about Act 2, it was an adaptation of the 2006 and 2007 Marvel Civil War storyline. That was my first instance of like interacting with that storyline. Uh, it was really weird. To, to go in it from a game perspective as opposed to just reading it. But it's most definitely noteworthy. Um, it has like a little, not a morality system, but it gives you some moral choices where it's like, oh, if you choose anti-registration, you're locked out of these heroes and vice versa with pro-registration. And then there's some non-affiliated free agents that you can choose, you know, either way that weren't relevant in the comic. Later that year, there was Batman Arkham Asylum. Okay, now I know I keep saying game changer, over and over again i'm sure it's annoying but but batman okay arkham asylum is one of my top 10 favorite video games all right I'll, I'll i'll say it i don't think it's as good as arkham city which i'll get to in a sec but i don't care um this was one of the first instances of dc showing up to the table they said oh spider-man we've got one of our own now, with Spider-Man and Batman, I feel like they're both incredible superheroes for the video game genre because they've got plenty of tools, fun traversal options, and they're not too powerful. This is DC learning their lesson from 10 years prior. Superman? Nah. Batman? Yeah. <laughs> um, also, if you got, like, the PS3 pre-order version, you got to play as Joker in the challenge rooms, which I thought was crazy. Like, who, who wants me to be the villain? You, you crazy. You crazy with that, bro. Come on. Uh, next year, 2010, we have Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. Now, a lot of people looked over Shattered Dimensions because it wasn't an open world game. Now, Shattered Dimensions, hype as hell. I love that game. <laughs> that was my uh, first time seeing Spider-Man Noir because I'm pretty sure he came out in the comics like two or three years beforehand. And like, I was too young to buy those comics because they're really, really mature. Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions had four different Spider-Man in it. It had the Amazing Spider-Man who had like web combos and like crowd control combat and stuff like that and a really pop art art style. There was Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara, and you know, he had time stop. Or it wasn't time stop, but it was like bullet time that he could control. I'm like, yo, that's pretty cool. 
other than that, his gameplay was kind of mid. Uh, <laughs> there was Ultimate Spider-Man, who had a rage meter, which was really, really cool. That was one of my first... I was actually my second time seeing Deadpool in something. I never read a Deadpool comic, but uh, Ultimate Deadpool is one of the villains for Ultimate Spider-Man. It's probably the best level in the game as well. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go ahead and look up uh, Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions Ultimate Deadpool level. <laughs> it's great. He's like going on an oil rig and he has like this Fear Factor show. It's great. And then lastly, there's Spider-Man Noir, who has like stealth. He's the stealth guy. A lot of his sections are really reminiscent of Arkham Asylum, like the Predator sessions, or the Predator sections in that. It's very clear that a little bit was taken. You know, he doesn't have as many gadgets. He can just kind of web people up and sneak up behind them. But uh, it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, big fan of Shadow Dimensions and their interpretation of Noir. One thing that I think games are kind of forgetting is that Spider-Man Noir, like, he can't web swing. I think he barely has web shooters as well. Because, like, noir takes place in the 30s, and, like, that technology wouldn't have existed. Not to say that comic books need to be stuck in reality, but, like, nah. Broski couldn't do that. <laughs> Alright, so, what year is it? 2011. Arkham City comes out. Alright, okay. So, uh, let's, let's, let's do it right here. Like I said before, Asylum, my favorite. A city is a better game than Asylum. <laughs> city uh, was the premiere open-world Batman game for a really long time. Um, Arkham City, it allowed you to play as Catwoman. It had some challenge missions as well. And there were loads of DC villains just kind of running around in the city. Like, there's a Hush storyline. Uh, I think Two-Face gets something. The Mr. Freeze fight? Jesus, the Mr. Freeze fight. It was a perfect boss fight. It's like, oh, you learned something? Let me destroy what you learned and not let you use that ever again. It's, it's a great fight. It made players adapt, which is something I feel like a lot of boss fights don't really do anymore. It's like, oh, your method works? Well, you can't do that method anymore. Get good. <laughs> Later that year, DC Universe Online. Or maybe earlier that year. Frankly, I don't really remember. I just have them in order here. Just from what I can think of them. DC Universe Online, it's fucking trash. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not trash, but like, it's not very good. But... That was one of the first, like, superhero MMOs. I'm pretty sure it is the first superhero MMO. Um, unless you want to count, like, Fusion Fall from Cartoon Network. Fusion Fall Classic at that. I think there's a reboot of it. It's not very good. But DC Universe Online, I, I plugged in a couple hours. Rather, I plugged in a couple dozen hours <laughs> over, I think, two or three different characters. And then uh, I was like, yeah, that's enough for me. Also in 2011, it's Marvel, baby. Marvel comes back. Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Fate of Two Worlds, which is a shit name, but it's out. And it's here, and it's in your hands. It's a Marvel, baby. Marvel's back. I don't really have much to say on Marvel. Like, do you like hyper-fighting? Do you like graphics? you like cell shading? We got, we got all of it. It's in there. And then Ultimate Marvel comes out later, adds a bunch of characters. It has to take out that one costume from Magneto because it's just like the Spanish Prime Minister's costume is like legal issues or something. Look look that up. That, that, there's, that's crazy. Crazy shit right there. So we're going to chill for a year and then we're going to come back uh, when it comes to fighting games with Injustice in 2013. Seems like DC was like, yo, let me get in on the superhero fighting game since our last escapade five years ago with Mortal Kombat versus DC was kind of cheeks. Now, I... Injustice isn't my favorite. I feel like the first Injustice has like a weird hazy filter over it where everything looks kind of plasticky or like it's washed out. I don't know. I, it, it just doesn't look right to me. I don't really like pressing the buttons in Injustice either. Let me just, let me just dog on Injustice, actually. Fuck that game. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Injustice is, it gets the job done. I mean, it's good to have an Injustice every other year, or every, every other, it's good to have every other fighting game from Netherworld be Injustice as opposed to Mortal Kombat. It's very clear that they wanted to do something a little different, and they're like, yo, who we got? Oh, we got DC, because we're Warner Brothers. And, uh, you know, the, the product is serviceable. Um, ooh, actually, I missed something. I do want to take note of this. The Walking Dead game that came out in 2012. Yeah, the Telltale game. For those of you that do not know, Walking Dead is a comic book. Comic book's not very good. The show started pretty good. Apparently it's not that good now. But, like, 
The first couple Walking Dead seasons were really, really good. Now, if you're not familiar with Telltale games, they're very narrative focused. Um, you have to be very, very careful of what you say, what you do, and how people react to you. I don't even know what genre I would consider them. I think JP and I said that they're technically role-playing games, but who's to say? In this economy, who's to say? But they definitely get a spot on this list. Um, the next year, actually, Telltale's like, yo, The Wolf Among Us. For those of you that don't know, <laughs> one more time, uh, The Wolf Among Us is a derivative piece from the Fables comic book which is a modernized kind of reboots of different fairy tale characters and like a New York-y kind of thing. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Modern fairy tales. Um, the Wolf Among Us is the same kind of gameplay as The Walking Dead. You know, your dialogue options, your what do you do here, what do you do there, your moral dilemmas and stuff like that. The game evolves as you play it. Now, 2013, Marvel's like, yo, look at me. I need friends. So they make uh, the first Lego Marvel Avengers game. Uh, or rather, the first Lego Marvel superheroes game. And there's a very distinct uh, distinction there. <laughs> and it's pretty good. Um, it allows you to run around in a fully, well, maybe not fully realized, but a miniature Lego New York. And I think at this point, Marvel like still owned all their characters. So you actually had Wolverine alongside the Fantastic Four, alongside the Avengers. Uh, so you can't ignore that. Can't ignore that whatsoever. That's kind of the split up in there. 2012, 2013, that's, that's when comic book stuff just became business. Oh, so sad. Anywho, 2015, Batman Arkham Knight. You, you feel like Batman. Get it? I, I didn't want to say it, but you feel like him. He's got the car, too. Um, a lot of the DLC in this, like, the DLC vehicles are a lot more fun than the actual game. Uh, not to say that the game's bad or anything, because it's just the natural development, or the natural, you know, progression from Asylum City, Skip Over Origins, and into Night. It's more of what you know, plus a car, which is a tank. Finish that game, wrap it all up, get that tank car out of here, buy some DLC, put the 60s Batmobile in there. It's great. It's wonderful. I love it so, so much. 2016 lego avengers this one's weird because it's like based on the movies but it starts with the second movie i don't know how i feel about that i know how i feel about the second movie shit's trash fuck ultron all my homies hate ultron <laughs> but it has a lot of uh, really interesting characters some characters that i haven't seen in comics before it brings in a lot of the late aughts, early teens Avengers characters as well, which is where like my Marvel knowledge kind of dips. I'm more of an early aughts, late 90s and a little bit of 80s comic kind of guy. So like in Lego Avengers, you get Detroit Steel, you get Trauma, you get uh, Speed. I think he's a young Avenger. I don't know. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> 2017. If you haven't noticed, like... These games are coming out more and more sparingly, mainly because AAA games are starting to cost more and more money, more and more resources, and more and more time to make. So up through here, this most recent generation, like everything's getting spaced out a lot, a lot more. So 2017, Injustice 2. Shit's good. I mean, I, I like it a lot more than the first Injustice. I really didn't like the first Injustice. Um, Injustice 2 has some fun uh, DLC characters as well. I'm pretty sure Sub-Zero's in there. The Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe crossover universe, whatever, whatever, wasn't obvious enough. Sub-Zero's in this one. I think Scorpion was in the first one. Who cares? Because his costume was ugly. But this one has uh, Sub-Zero. It has Hellboy, which is really cool. Dark Horse Comics Hellboy. And uh, it has the Ninja Turtles. One weird thing about Injustice 2 is that it introduced like a gear system, um, which allows you to customize your characters like move-wise and like some of their attributes and stuff. Uh, it didn't have costumes traditionally. It just had like the gear. You change up your gear. So with the Ninja Turtles, instead of making them separate characters, you would apply a different mask, a different color mask, and then it would change which ninja turtle you were but you can only have three variations or like three gear sets saved so you can never have all four ninja turtles selectable 
uh, just like a little wrinkle in this shit. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't develop games. You know, it's my first day out here. So that was 2017. Marvel's like, yo, y'all got fighting games? And your Batman is done? Sheesh. Let's bust out Spider-Man for PS4 in 2018. Woo! I had to lean back in my chair for that one. Spider-Man PS4. I just played through it last week. Is incredible. Now, I had my little ditty about the Spider-Man 2 from 2004 web swinging. And how we all were like, yo, that's the best. It doesn't get any better than that. Whatever, whatever. But as soon as you turn on Spider-Man PS4, Peter Parker puts on his suit. He doesn't pick up his mail. He drops his phone, I think. And he hops out the window. And it says, press R2. You're like, okay. You press R2. Then you release R2. And then you press R2 again. And at that point, if you don't think that Spider-Man PS4 has the best web swinging, I don't care about your opinion. I'll say it. Spider-Man PS4 is the definitive Spider-Man experience. It makes you feel like Spider-Man. <laughs> it's incredible. It seems like they learned from like the amazing Spider-Man movie games, which I didn't care to mention because they were booty cheeks. They had some cool costumes, but that's it. Uh, I'm pretty sure Beanox developed the amazing Spider-Man movie games. And Insomniac just like looked at it and was like, yo, let me copy that, but get rid of all the wrong answers. <laughs> and they, they made it happen with Spider-Man PS4. I wish I had a better TV to put that on. Like I, my TV doesn't do the game justice. So with Spider-Man PS4 in 2018, I'm going to round off this list with Spider-Man Miles Morales, which comes out today on the day of this recording. Now, Spider-Man is special to me. I don't know why, like especially Spider-Man games as well, because I don't even really like Spider-Man comics that much. I, I like all the secondary media. But Miles Morales is out today. I don't really have much to say on that, naturally because I haven't played it, but it feels so good for Miles to be in the spotlight like he has been for the past two or three years. It, it, he's so important to a lot of young comic fans, a lot of young Spider-Man fans, and a lot of just young people, young kids, or even young adults now. He debuted in, I want to say, 2010, 2011. And in 9-10 years, he's getting the exact same treatment as Peter Parker, who's been around since 1960... What? 3? 2? It's, it's incredible. That shit got me emotional, bro. That's crazy. Anyways, I'm really excited to uh, to crack into that when I have the resources to do so. Like I said, I do want to get another TV before I even think about sniffing the advertisement for a PS5. But Miles, he's out. He's here. Today. Now. Go. So that, um, that wraps up my list of most notable comic book games of all time. Maybe not all time. You know what? Yeah, all time. Games aren't that old. <laughs> Um, as of uh, November, the first half of November in the year 2020, this is my this is my list. This is the doof list. So, if you've been listening to the show, you know I like to make pitches. I like to throw my ideas against the wall and excite whomever's ears they may fall upon. So I've got a couple pitches right here uh, that I desperately want to share with you today. Now, uh. I've got three. Let's let's switch up the order of these because two of them I don't really have much to say, but one I have an extensive list of things that I want to hit. So, DC. Who of the big three of your DC characters hasn't gotten the spotlight? Wonder Woman. It's disrespectful at this point that Wonder Woman hasn't gotten some triple A or at least double A like sort of game. Now, you're thinking to yourself. Wonder Woman, is she too powerful? Nah, nah, dog. That's utter Caposaurus right there. God of War, right? Kratos, dad of boy. Imagine that game, but it's Wonder Woman instead. 
Hmm? The tools are already there. Wonder Woman can run around with a sword, shield, the tiara, and the lasso. All right? The tools are there. The game is there. Why hasn't this been capitalized on? And she has a, an entire pantheon of villains that she can plow through as well. And it doesn't have to be like an experienced Wonder Woman. It can be an origin. It can be a, I've been doing this for three years. Like, it, it's there. And Wonder Woman has so many costumes, so many outfits, so many variations over the years that there can be a fairly extensive gear system as well. It's there. Anyways. Next up, um, I want to pitch like a Hellboy character action game. But I don't want it to be like photorealistic character action. I want it to be like that Mike Mignola art. Okay? I want it to be cell shaded. I want him to have twee legs. I want him to have a sword. I want the little crown to show up all the time. Like, I feel like Hellboy deserves some sort of character action game, even if it's only like eight hours long. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, character action games are games in which uh, the player plays as someone who is just little bit more powerful than they should be for the villains that are in front of them. Um, some games include Bayonetta, um, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Um, there's Platinum's Transformers game, Transformers Devastation, which I would consider character action. Like, or you're just a little bit too strong. Um, I think uh, a style meter is a, a mainstay of the character action genre, like in Devil May Cry in that series. So imagine DMC4, Devil May Cry 4, but it's Hellboy. Hmm? Hmm? That's money. That's free. Whoever's listening, that's free. Now, let me shift in my chair. I hope you heard that. The big one that I want to I want to throw your way. I want to hit your ears, bro. Marvel Knights. Dead Air. For those of you that don't know, Marvel Knights was a line from the late 90s and early 2000s of like the street level Marvel characters like Punisher, Blade, Moon Knight, Daredevil. Now I haven't told you what kind of game this is this is going to be. So I want you I want you to imagine with me. I want you to think about what these guys can bring to the table. All right, quit imagining cuz I have it for you right here. Aki Engine. Def Jam Fight for New York. Marvel. Bro. Bro. How, how has this not been capitalized on? For those of you that can't quite tell what I'm saying, I want a Marvel 3D brawling game in the style of Def Jam Fight for New York. All right? It doesn't need to be photorealistic. I don't care. I care about the feel of the buttons. Could you imagine blazing moves with Iron Fist punching Taskmaster or something? Could you imagine, bro? Come on. Now, I do have a roster here as well that I want to I wanna share with you guys. Now, Marvel Knights. Let's go. Let's get it. Character list. Daredevil. Moon Knight. Jessica Jones. Misty Knight. Luke Cage. Iron Fist. Ghost Rider. Elektra. Kingpin. Morbius the Living Vampire. Absorbing Man. She-Hulk. Blade. U.S. Agent, Constrictor, Gladiator, Bullseye, Paladin, Echo, Taskmaster, Batroc the Leaper, <laughs> and two guest characters. Slim Shady himself, Eminem, <laughs> and Star Wars' The Mandalorian. <laughs> now, I'm sure... I'm sure those last two are taking up 70% of your attention now. Who cares about what else I said? So let me explain those two first. Eminem. There was a, uh, a limited series in the mid-2000s of Eminem and The Punisher working together. And I, I do mean Slim Shady, Mr. Marshall Mathers. Like, <laughs> photorealistic drawings of his face were just slapped onto a comic book character's body. So, like, if you were to look up images of the comic book, it doesn't really make any sense. It's really weird looking. It looks like a different artist threw in Eminem at a later date. It, it's insane. But I, I want him in as DLC as something. I want him in. And uh, my other guest character is the Mandalorian. 
What do you want from me? The Mandalorian. Get rid of the jetpack. He can have an alternate costume. He can be like Boba Fett or something. So, did you notice anything about that list of characters? How not powerful <laughs> those characters are. I think that a brawling game like this with Marvel characters needs to skip over your Iron Mans. It needs to skip over your Captain Marvels. Hell, I even took out Captain America as well and replaced him with US Agent. Because I feel like US Agent would be a dirtier fighter than Cap. So something that would fit perfectly in this kind of game. Like Daredevil, Moon Knight, acrobats, martial artists, boxers, kickboxers, Krav Maga. Like, that's the kind of stuff that needs to be in a brawling game like this. Iron Fist, Ghost Rider. Like, you could have, uh, you could have Ghost Rider have... Uh, long-range grapple attacks with his, like, hell chains and stuff. That makes sense, don't it? Electra could be, uh, she could have, like, maybe some projectiles or something, but she could be an acrobatic character. She could be into, like, countering different strikers and stuff. Like, Daredevil would be a striker. Like, you know, boxing, basic kicks, and what have you. She-Hulk could be strong, like a brute, a heavy. Absorbing Man could be a heavy as well. Morbius would probably be, you know, maybe an acrobat or a striker or something. Bullseye, Paladin, Echo could be like zoners. Like they could have a really limited amount of ammunition, but like instead of just firing their guns all the time, they should use their guns as like some sort of combo extenders. Like if you were to pop someone up in the air, you were to like uppercut someone up in the air and then whip out a gun to like put an extra hit on them. You know, you know what I'm saying? I didn't really finish that sentence, but you know what I'm saying? Marvel Knights, y'all. Get in, okay? Get hype for Marvel Knights. That's something I, I, I really want to see. I think, I think there's legs there. If you, dearest Mr. Marvel, are listening, hit me up. Hit me up on my landline. Or hell, hit up the podcast at pressstartcast at gmail.com. <laughs> pressstartcast at gmail.com. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's too easy. There's an extra S in there. It's P-R-E-S-S-S startcast at gmail.com. Now, um, I threw up on my Instagram, like, I don't know, two hours ago. Hey, you got questions? You got something you want to say about comic books? You got something you want me to say about comic books? And, like, comic book movies, comic book games, and what have you? Um, looks like uh, looks like we got some responses here. <laughs> JP himself, the man with the plan, says... Uh, what were some comic book games that blew your ex expectations away? Spider-Man PS4. <laughs> the ends. No. Um, I thoroughly liked uh, Arkham Knights. And um, it was weird because with the Ultimate Alliance games, I haven't played the third one yet, but I played the second one before I played the first one. So I played through the second one. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I went back to the first one and I was like, yo, hold on. This one is it. Something about the first one. It, it feels different. I don't know what it is. It might be the cast or it might be uh, the fact that it's a little bit more campy than the second one. That, that kind of blew me away. Like retroactively as I shift in my seat and it's extremely loud. Um... Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the first Ultimate Alliance, uh, Spider-Man PS4, and Arkham Knight, despite me liking Asylum a little bit more. It doesn't really... Yeah. Uh, the Wolf Among Us games, uh, I think, is the second one out yet? I'm not really sure. Uh, Miss Bops sent in that she want me to talk about The Wolf Among Us a little bit. I don't really have much to say on it. Um, I haven't read the Fable comics um, so I don't really know the source material as well as I wish I wish I did, but you know, the game's pretty good. I like the game. I it shocked me in some of the uh, the story and some of the places that it went. So I was like, oh, that's what we're doing with these characters. Sheesh! But I was uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the Wolf Among Us, um, and oh, looks like looks like the homie says yeah, South Park. <laughs> <laughs> the fractured but whole. Now, I played a little bit of the first South Park game. The uh, the first uh, what are they RPGs? And I was like, oh, this is just Super Mario RPG. Okay, cool. The end. Like I I 
I, I didn't think it was bad. It was like it was very very familiar to me because it's just you know Super Mario RPG but with a South Park skin. But they're both very very. Or the first one is very very good. And I would imagine the second one just expands upon the first one. I, I mean, it's a it's a strong gameplay loop. There's not much you can do to make it better. Well, I'm not gonna say that. There are things that you could do to make it better, but like if you just you can put whatever skin you want on that type of game on that gameplay. Uh, I guess base. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be May. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are all the responses I got there. We haven't gotten any emails, you stinkers. Send us stuff or add us on Twitter. Our at is now press start on Twitter. We're gonna see it and we're gonna be like, hey, cool. There's something I did want to bring up earlier in the show. Um, <laughs> a segment called Bitch, How Did You Miss This? Um, our last episode that we had together was about adaptations. Um, a friend of mine uh, and fellow showrunner, or uh, fellow showman, uh, Shawbiwa, S-H-A-W-B-Y-W-A-A, my boy Fisher. He was like, yo, Castlevania. How did you not mention the Castlevania Netflix adaptation? He said he uh, he really liked how it didn't try and force any gameplay elements into the show. And I'm like, that's commendable. A lot of people I know have watched Castlevania. I haven't. I've played Castlevania. But uh, that's most definitely noteworthy. I, I can appreciate when someone who's making an adaptation doesn't try and force in, you know, look, it's it's a thing. Hey, get it? You know, when you press the button in this hallway and this happens, hey, oh, gameplay. No, I, I really appreciate when the creative team skips that entire bit and just makes something good. But yeah, other than that, I think we're good to go today. Um, there's one <laughs> one thing that got King Crimson from the last time we recorded something from our spooky episode. was this little bitty I had on mummies. <laughs> you like mummies? like the industrial revolution yeah you heard me uh so <laughs> when trains are starting to get introduced into society arthur fleck says um coal was not scarce but like they were plowing through coal because those trains are not efficient at all so this archaeologist was like yo the embalming and mummification process Something about that process makes mummies super good train food. <laughs> and all of England's like, yo, what? You can't, huh? What, what do you mean train food? So <laughs> engineers would just start shoveling mummies into like the, the coal deposit on trains. And their trains would go hella far and like hella fast because mummies are just good fuel for some reason. <laughs> And it, like, it makes England seem like turbo monsters from just destroying this ritual that Egypt had. Because, like, not just royalty would become mummified. Apparently, it was, like, really inexpensive. So, like, poor people would get mummified, too. So, there's just hella mummies all over the place. You just dig them shits up, throw them in your train. <laughs> like I said, it, it paints London or England specifically or less specifically as, like, these turbo villains, which I think is darkly funny um and probably my favorite part of that whole story is that it's completely fabricated by mark twain thank you guys peace out see you guys next time <laughs>